The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Before we begin, I want to remind you that we'd still like to hear from you. We're looking for more of your questions about the ethics and etiquette of social distancing. If there's a situation, behavior, or activity in your life that you're not sure how to handle in the age of COVID-19, leave us a voicemail at 646-324-3490. We may use your voice on the show. And now, let's get started. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 48 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Our main story? The goal of widespread testing seems to finally be one the White House is taking seriously. President Donald Trump announced a comprehensive testing plan on Monday. But the country is already months into a testing crisis that may be too far gone to fix. It leaves open the question, can the U.S. prepare itself for the next phase? But first, here's what happened today. After an outrage about how funds for a government relief program for small businesses were dispersed, the government says it will keep a close eye on who's getting the money and whether they need it. U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said the government will audit every small business loan of more than $2 million under the Paycheck Protection Program. In the first round of funds from the PPP, large amounts went to big public companies and chains. Mnuchin's comments came in a CNBC interview today. Some American car manufacturing is revving up again. Ford said it intends to restart initial production at most of its main European plants starting May 4th. The company said manufacturing will resume in a phased approach, and employees will receive personal care kits, including masks and thermometers. Finally, President Donald Trump plans to order meat processing plants to remain open, according to a person familiar with the matter. The government will provide additional protective gear for employees, as well as guidance. The order comes under the Defense Production Act, which gives the president broad powers to direct industrial production in a crisis. The order sets the stage for a showdown between America's meat giants, who have been pressing to reopen plants, and local officials and labor unions, who say the government is not protecting workers. Across the country, at least 6,500 meat processing employees have either tested positive for the disease or had to go into self-quarantine, according to the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the largest private sector union. 20 workers have died. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, 
Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio. And now, our main story. The Trump administration announced a plan yesterday to ramp up coronavirus testing. The White House said its goal was to provide enough tests to allow every state to test at least 2% of residents. But even as it announces a new commitment to testing, the federal government has pushed much of the responsibility to states. Because of the lack of federal leadership on testing, experts say the result has been a free-for-all among states, who are all desperate to get their hands on tests. The competition drives up prices, eats up time, and ultimately dictates how many tests a state can do. Emma Court and John Tazi have both reported on the difficult logistics required to mount a meaningful testing operation. I talked to them to understand how prepared we really are to scale up widespread testing. Why is testing so important for COVID-19? So usually when we think about testing, you think of it in the scenario that you're sick. But it actually has a really tremendous kind of importance when you think about the health of our communities and our states and, and the country. Because you, if you someone is sick, you want to make sure that they are not kind of out in the community and going to the grocery store and seeing their friends and things like that, um, because that's how uh, this disease spreads. So testing has a really important role uh, when you think about kind of public health and, and you know, preventing this infection from spreading further and preventing sort of a second wave of infections. You know, so many people are social distancing right now, and that's really, really important. But testing is actually even more important when people sort of relax the social distancing, as we're starting to see sort of happen, you know, in states all around uh, the U.S. right now. Who oversees how and to what extent communities are tested for coronavirus? Yeah, so the testing landscape is incredibly fractured. Um, You know, we talk about U.S. testing like it's one monolithic entity, but it's actually carried out by a ton of different actors around the country. Commercial labs like uh, Quest Diagnostics and LabCorp do a lot of the testing, but you're also seeing, you know, hospitals do testing. You're seeing state public health labs do testing in in a given state or area. So there's been a lot of criticism of the White House since they put out some guidelines about states reopening about 10 days or so ago and public health experts saying we need a sharper focus on testing. Testing is what's going to really be key in getting us out of this situation and allowing economies to reopen. And so we saw this come out of the White House, you know, yesterday saying testing is important. Here's our plan. We're going to try to help Uh, you know, states test better, but they're still really putting this emphasis on the states leading the charge. And so we're hearing public health experts say this is great that there's a new focus on testing, but the federal government needs to be involved more, you know, as sort of the link, the link and the key kind of authority that, that can kind of act between states and across states. You know, what are some of the things that they're able to do that states individually can't do with regard to testing? A big thing we've been hearing from labs around the country is we need you to really coordinate the sort of 
division of supplies among different labs. So a big problem facing labs and inhibiting how much testing they can do has been, you know, one lab maybe doesn't have enough swabs to take the samples to do the testing, the diagnostic testing for COVID-19, let's say. Another lab maybe is having trouble getting the right reagents needed to process the testing. Um, You know, some labs are struggling with getting enough protective equipment, which has been an issue not just in hospitals, but also in labs, because labs also need to protect their people, you know, from getting this infection. So we're seeing labs say the divisions of these supplies around the country are very uneven. You know, some people have too much. Some people have too little. So what exactly is the Trump administration doing about testing and and what has led to so much criticism of their approach? So it's important to say that the Trump administration is aware of these issues, aware of the supply chain problems, you know, involved and and trying to to make some differences in these sort of challenges. The real thing that has been sort of a persistent criticism of the Trump administration has been this sort of the fact that they came out with this guideline, these guidelines the other week for reopening state economies, saying this is how we measure it. This is how we know if a state is prepared to reopen. But by the way, these guidelines are voluntary. And these guidelines talked about testing, but they didn't set specific goals in terms of testing, leading to a lot of criticism that the Trump administration wasn't stressing testing enough in terms of its talking about reopening. So fast forward to this week. On Monday, you're having more states talking about reopening, pressing towards reopening. And the Trump administration is putting out that same day new guidelines about testing, sort of outlining what they've done so far and saying, you know, testing is important. Deborah Burks, who's a top medical advisor to the administration, has been involved in talking to lab directors about the situations in their lab. There's one diagnostic manufacturer that has actually too much supply of their testing product, and she's trying to figure out why aren't labs using this product. So they're out there, they're listening to these problems, but you you also have the president repeatedly stressing that we have enough testing capacity right now. And experts say that's just not true. John, you wrote about contact tracing. Explain what contact tracing is and what it has to do with testing. Yeah. So contact tracing is something that public health departments have done for decades. It's sort of bread and butter detective work to uh, understand how diseases are spreading and to really stop that Uh, transmission. We're hearing a lot more about it now because of the coronavirus. And the idea behind it is, you know, if you have someone who has an infectious disease, you know, they may be in contact with a number of other people who are susceptible to that disease. With the coronavirus, they may have those contacts before they even realize they were sick themselves, or they may never realize that they were sick because they were asymptomatic. So the idea behind contact tracing is you find out all the people who may have been in touch with someone who is infected and might have transmitted the disease to, and then you monitor them. In the case of COVID-19, you ask them to isolate for 14 days uh, to see if they develop symptoms. If they do, you know that that person may have infected uh, others. So you kind of repeat the process uh, case by case, chasing down their contacts, asking people to isolate, finding out who that who else they might have been in touch with. And that's really what's um, essential to breaking the chains of transmission for the virus. So your article focuses on a new software um, that's that's being developed and, and currently being implemented called Sarah Alert. And I was wondering if you might just 
explain how does SARA Alert work? It's really a tool for public health to kind of track and isolate people who uh, may have COVID-19 or people who may have been exposed. So, uh, you know, when a public health worker gets, um, they basically develop lists of um, contacts from known cases, right? All the people that you may have been uh, in touch with in the period when you were potentially infectious and spreading the virus. Those contacts are entered into a system. Um, Health workers reach out to them and ask if they've experienced any symptoms and, you know, may recommend testing or treatment based on their answers. What the software basically does is automate much of the process of checking in on them. They can decide whether they want to be contacted by text message, by email, by voice call. And then every day they are contacted automatically. Um, They're asked to report symptoms. People who do report symptoms, get flagged for public health workers that they may need more uh, follow-up. And people who don't respond at all also get flagged um, that they may need a human intervention. So basically, it it's it kind of automates much of the manual work uh, done by public health departments right now. And who is using Sarah Alert? So the first three um, places to start using it in April were the state of Arkansas, the city of Danbury, Connecticut, and uh, the territory of the Northern Mariana Islands, uh, it's a U.S. Commonwealth in the Pacific. And, you know, those were, I think, chosen as sort of test cases. So they would have it in, you know, three very different types of jurisdictions, a state, a local and a territory. So how do these two different prongs of testing inform each other? Testing itself and contact tracing. Yeah, I think, I mean, both are important, right? I mean, I think one one without the other is probably not going to get us there. And there's lots of sort of basic public health activity around testing and contact tracing um, that we need to do and we need to do much better and much faster, uh, I think, than than we have. You know, in the United States, this is work that's sort of distributed across many different local, county, state, government entities, and some are better equipped to do it than others. And I think, you know, they're all being kind of strained by the current situation. So, you know, the the scale of the undertaking ahead is pretty astonishing. And, you know, we're, we're sort of still finding out where the stress points and fractures in the system and our ability to respond are. That was Bloomberg reporters Emma Court and John Tazi. And that's our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com slash coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is hosted by me, Laura Carlson. The show is produced by me, Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, and Magnus Henriksen. Today's main story was reported by Emma Court and John Tazi. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Francesca Levy and Rick Schein. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening.
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.